0: Lord God, Heavenly Father, in each of our lives you pour out your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that we know that you are a God who loves, a God who calls us by name and knows each of our situations and each of our needs. And so you provide for us. We rejoice. And we pray that you continue to drive us to you as our God who watches over and protects and gives us our daily bread. But most of all, Lord, you come to us in our Savior Jesus Christ. For in him we have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. We ask you to this day, let us come to him, that by believing that he is the very bread of life, we might be raised up in the last day. In Jesus' name. Okay, so John chapter (laughs) 6, we are going to finish this chapter one of these days. I don't know what week that'll be, but one of these days. We're getting closer. So we are at the last major section of John 6. Um, we are now in the Bread of Life discourse. So we are discussing how Jesus, remember if you go back to John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the Bread of Life. And this is a big issue now with what does he mean he's the Bread of Life? How dare he say he's the Bread of Life? Um, don't forget also the context of this whole discussion is that this this chapter in John, this section of John, Begins with the feeding of the five thousand, right? It it has a discussion of manna in the wilderness, and they're kind of saying, "What's going on here?" Moses gave our fa- forefathers man in the wilderness, and you're and that's in the Psalms. That's considered the bread of heaven. And now you're saying you're the bread of heaven. This is kind of you're not the manna. You're not even Moses. You're not even our fathers in the wilderness. How you saying you're greater than they are? And, and you know, so that whole discussion of what is this bread of heaven? What does this mean? And uh, Jesus is given several opportunities to say, I don't really mean that, you know, you're taking it too far, but he doesn't. He actually does the opposite. He says, it's, it's more than you know. I mean this more than you know, not less, more. So we're getting at a section today where he actually um, doesn't make it easier to understand. He makes it harder to understand, which Jesus likes to do, by the way. And there's a reason for that. So we'll get to that today. So any questions on anything we've been discussing in John 6 or any other chapters of your life that you um, want to bring up? I do want you to note that the seminarians have found their proper place. Yeah. <laughs> in the back of the room, at the little table. Very good. Very nice. Good. We're training them well. I uh, this just,
1: something I saw on a bumper sticker, I just, I throw it out there, Yeah. Said, I'm a, I'm a militant agnostic
0: I don't know you don't need her exclamation point. there you go good like, seriously I'm a militant agnostic I don't know and you don't know either
1: like really
0: great <laughs> I don't so know if got him in the car I would talk to him but I didn't see who yeah got him I mean it's Remember, and I and I, there's a lot of literature right now about all of this going on, um, and there's a lot of people who say this world is more anti-Christian than ever, or we're in a post-Christian reality, and that's fine. Those are all observations, but but I don't actually think any of that's true. I think what is true is that people are emboldened to speak out their unbelief. It used to be it was kind of shameful to say I don't believe in God or just to question Jesus. Now it's praised. Like, hey, this is great. You should explore this, you know. So I think what's happening is, is people are being encouraged to voice their unbelief. And, and I think that's, that's actually an opportunity for us as Christians to speak the words of eternal life to them. Right? You're going to bring up God? Great. Let's talk about God. I got a whole book that I can quote to you that tells us about God, right? So these people are embo- emboldened to speak about God. Great. So should you be? I believe our seminary and have preached on this a little bit today. Yeah, just a little bit. So, so um, you know, when when the world says, and I know you didn't have opportunity to stop and you know, I'm not saying you should run into him and cause an accident. You can talk to him, but that's the theory. Uh, but but you know, when people are are emboldened to say, I don't believe in God, say okay. Can I explain to you why I do believe in God? It's an opportunity to engage in a conversation. And here's the thing. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Guess what? You do. Right? You've got the eternal word of God on your side. Don't you? So don't be afraid to engage in conversation. By the way, I guarantee they do believe in God. They do know something about God. They just don't like it or they're upset, or they're hurt, or they're scared, right? So if we walk into that situation and we have the ability to speak the truth of who God is to them, we, we present God in Christ, we're driving them to the reality that maybe they don't understand. Maybe they've never been taught properly. Or maybe something's happened that's really upset them. And now you're allowed to listen to them and help them see how God in Christ is, is the God that we actually all need for life. Right? So it's an opportunity. I think this is all an opportunity for the church to simply say I'm glad you want to talk about God. We happen to be extremely well equipped to do that. Right? Yeah, I mean, that we did it today in church. We went over the creed and an explanation to the creed. That's enough right there. If you've got the Apostles' Creed and Luther's explanation in the Catechism, you are pretty much good to go for any conversation about Jesus. Yeah? It's pretty easy. And you can get it free on your phone, by the way. The, you can download the catechism for free on your phone. just, there you go. You got it. Okay, so any other questions? Thanks for that. Oh, by the way, agnostic. Everybody knows what agnostic is? Not sure if there's a guy. Yes. So let's just, real quick, <coughs> just so you know, everybody's talking about an Agnostic. So the Greek word to know is gnosis. That's knowledge, okay? So an agnostic means this is knowing. You put an A in front, it means not knowing, literally. So this is an agnostic means somebody, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God. Okay? And an atheist, a theist, A space, theist, is one who believes in God. So an atheist is one who doesn't believe in God. That's all those words mean. Now, there is no such thing as an atheist. Everybody believes in God. A lot of us don't like it. They don't want to believe in God. Well, that's nice. It's nice for you to want things. But So that's what those words mean. So when, you say, when someone says they're agnostic, they're saying, I'm not going to commit. There could be a God. There might not be a God. I don't care. And an atheist is one who's saying, I've taken a stand, and I don't like God, so I'm going to say there isn't one. What are you? You're a theist, kind of, but more importantly, you're a Christian, right? You're a child of God. You're a Christian, okay? And we'll get to all those words later. Fun with words. All right, let's read John 6, verses 41 through 51.
1: Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God.
0: Who is Jesus? Isn't this fun? Right away. Just jump right in with both feet. Okay, good. Very good. He is the son of Joseph. Whoop, that's an O. All right, is that true? Yeah, that's right. Joseph is his dad. Now, obviously not physically, right? Because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But he's a son of Joseph. That's actually true. This is in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. He is a son of Joseph. That's okay. Is that a problem? (laughs) So, is that a divine quality? That's rather human. Right? What else is Jesus? Yeah, he's God. He's the bread of heaven. He's the bread that comes down from heaven. He's the one who's seen the Father. He's the one the Father sent. All these things are, you know, he's, he's the bread of life. So guess what? That's kind of divine. So which one is it? Yes. Okay. And how many Jesuses are there? Is there a human Jesus and a divine Jesus? No. How many Jesuses are there? One. Is that one Jesus human? Yes. How much of that one Jesus is human? 100%. 100%. Is that one Jesus divine?
1: Yes.
0: How much of that one Jesus is divine? 100%. 100%. Does Jesus do certain things as human Jesus and other things as divine Jesus? Yes. No. Everything that one Jesus does, he does with both natures active in it. Right? But certain things he does, he shows us his human nature. So we say those things are done according to his human nature. Other things you see, his divine natures. You say those actions are done according to his divine nature. But the act neither one of the natures ever takes a nap. So it's not like, well, Jesus is getting tired. The divine nature is like, oh, I'm not active right now. I'm going to sleep. No, whatever the one Jesus does, he does according to or both natures do in him. Even on the cross even on the cross, especially on the cross. Okay? So, this is, I'm gonna, this is fun. <laughs> so the Gainus Apotelus Maticum, which is what you guys were probably talking about before we came in here, right? The Gainus genus, the Apotelus Maticum. Exactly. Is the teaching that Everything, this is a very long word that simply means action. Okay? And this is the three, there are three of these. Three again is to talk about the person of Jesus Christ, his divine and human natures. This says that every action that Jesus takes, both natures are active in it. And every action that Jesus takes with both natures active, he does in order to save you. This is not a philosophical doctrine. This is a doctrine of salvation. So what we learn is that throughout the New Testament, what it talks is that Jesus, when he's acting to save, which nature is active? Both. Yes. Okay? Does he die for you as a a human? Does he die as divine? Yes. He must. Otherwise you ain't saved. Okay? So, Apotalismaticum teaches that everything that Jesus does, both natures are active in that action.
1: Okay. But God can't die. So you just said he
0: was. Don't dying. you tell God what he can do. <laughs> yeah, this is the problem, is that does this make sense? No! Is it what Jesus did? Yes. Yes. Okay? So, we do not do theology. We do not start with predications about God and then say Jesus has to fit into those. Or God has to fit into those. What do we start with? We start with what God actually did, which is revealed to us in the Scriptures. And then we say, oh, that's who God is. Right? Can God regret His own action? Yes. Apparently. Why would you dare say that, Pastor Zagor? Because He says so. Where? He says so when He... Regrets that he brought the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt That's true. Where else? Before the, flood. Before the flood. See, we would say, no, God can't regret his action. That's crazy. He can't. <laughs> Job forty two two. No one can thwart the will of Yahweh. I'm not a man that I change like you guys. And yet, this is the God who says over and over, I regret that I did that. I regret that I made made mankind. What? Could God possibly change his mind? The eternal, unchangeable God change his mind? No. Wait. But he does. Right? So So we do not approach God from a philosophical level and then tell him what he must do to fit in. No. What do we do? We confess what Scripture says and this is the basis of our Christology which is the fancy word to say right Mirology is from the Greek word logos which means word so these are words that we say about Jesus well you know the scriptures teach how many, how many Jesuses are there running around in the New Testament how many Jesus Christ's are there one, how many natures does that Jesus Christ have Two, what are they? Human and right. divine. And we go, that's weird. Yes, but what does it look like now? So we read the scriptures, and this is one of the places where Jesus is actually clearly portrayed to us as human. He has parents. We know where he's from. We played stickball with him in the alley, right? We, went, we didn't go to school, but we would have gone to school. with him, Right? We know where he's from. He had a job. He was a carpenter, according to the Gospel of Mark. Okay? So we know he's a human. He gets tired. He gets sleepy. He gets sad. He is tempted. And yet, he is the bread of heaven. Yet, he is the Son of God. Yet, he is the one who says, the Father and I, we are one. And we say, well, how do we, how do we bring all that together? Well, how do you bring all that together? You make up fancy Latin words.
1: <laughs>
0: right? Like that. That's how you bring it all together. Yeah. And what does all this mean? It means that we confess what the scriptures say. Is that this Jesus is going around doing things as God and man and the things that he is doing they all end in your salvation. Okay? Now, just just cuz I know you guys are curious. The other one we were discussing is the genus idiomaticum. That's the one where you talk about which which attributes. This is the this is the genus of attributes our seminarians are going Right, So the Gainus Idiomaticum is the one that talks about the attributes of each nature. So when you say he's sleepy or he's hungry, you say you, he is hungry according to his human nature. So in the Gainus Idiomaticum, what we say is that the attributes of each nature is contributed to the person by that nature. Okay? Does that make sense? So the human nature brings to the person of Christ... The human attributes. The divine nature brings to the person of Christ the divine attributes. We don't mix the natures together nor do we pull them apart. Okay? That's Christology. If you want to hear this in a podcast, go to crucialproductions.org and look up a podcast on Christology. So why is the why do they
1: why is the word repentance in like the King for version regret?
0: Oh, repent? Because it. Um, yeah, because it, what it says is he's changed his... Remember, repentance is changing your mind. It's a changing of the mind. So he's saying it's the same thing as regret. Right? Is that you're like, ooh, I should not have done that. That's the idea. So he's, he's repenting of his action. He's, he's changing his mind. Okay? He also changes his mind in other places in the Old Testament. It's kind of fun. All right. There's another genus. so we get that one? No, we don't. Talk about it. We don't, but it does have to do with the end of the chapter. All right. So Jesus is, again, let's just make sure we see it in the text. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Is he right? Yes. yes. And they say, what? You're the son of Joseph. Are they right? Yes. Okay. And this, welcome to Jesus. He is at one and the same time The Son of God and the Son of Mary.
1: Susan? When Pastor says you're a saint, you are a saint? Yeah.
0: Meaning what? Okay, when Pastor says you are a saint, um, he is saying that you are Eustace. You are justified. Okay? What that means is that because your sins are forgiven and that, and that Jesus, you have been baptized into Christ, you now receive his righteousness and saint is simply the word of holy. So you are now holy because Jesus gives you his holiness. You have been set apart in Christ, who is the righteousness of God. Okay. At the same time, you are a sinner right? At the same time, like simultaneous, you are simul et peccator, right? Et. So this is the Latin phrase that says, at the same time, sinner saint, justified and sinner. At the same time. Okay? So as, by the way, all of this is, simple, is read very easily in First John chapter 1. Well, let's just go there and look. Why not? You know, we got lots of time. We're never going to finish John 6. So that's okay. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John is pretty much the Bible in like a little section. You just read First John over and over and over. You got it all. Okay. Well, actually, all of this is in, in one verse. Everything we've been talking about so far is in one verse. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. It is the classic Christology verse, and it also brings in sinner and saint. 1 John 1 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's your Christology the blood of Jesus is that divine? 1 John 1 7. Is that blood of Jesus? Is that divine?
1: Yes.
0: Nope, it's human. God didn't have blood, humans have blood, right? So the blood of Jesus, his son, that's divine. divine. There you have human and divine, all in Jesus, all working together to do what? Cleanses us from our sins. So both natures of Jesus are active in his person in order to accomplish your salvation. Now, that blood cleanses us from all Sin. sin, right? So we're cleansed of sin. We don't have any sin anymore, right? Right? You're without sin. Right? Read the next verse. If any of you says that you without are without sin, <laughs> you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. Okay? So here we have juxtaposed in, these, in this, these two verses the fact that you are cleansed from all your sins. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And the fact that you must confess your sins. Okay? So this is all kind of slammed together in these, in this, these two verses here, is that it's, it's the fact that we're justified because of the blood of Christ, but we also still exist as sinners. Also in seven is the idea of Christology, that there's one Jesus who is the Son of God who has human <laughs> blood. And everything that Jesus did, he did it so that you could receive <laughs> salvation. It's all there. First John one seven and eight nine. This wonderful passage. Okay, I mean it's John, so yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. Okay, any questions on that? Yeah.
1: If we have no sin in the eyes of God because of Jesus, what are do we have no sin because we're justified?
0: Right. Yeah. So your sins are entirely forgiven because of what Christ has done. You are justified. You are declared righteous by God. So he says you are righteous.
1: say we have no sin in the eyes of the Lord because of what Jesus did for us, that's not...
0: That's true. That's good. That's true. At the same time, you're a sinner who needs to repent. At the same time. Okay? So this is Romans 7 and 8. I don't know what <laughs> that. That was fun. Seven, Romans 7 says... What a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Right? Paul's like, six is I'm baptized and seven is, yeah, I'm all baptized and I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. But, but uh, even though my inner being, my, my renewed man within me desires to serve God, I end up serving my flesh. As a matter of fact, I'm so sinful that when the law of God comes to me and teaches me how to live according to the will of God, I don't always see this opportunity to serve God. Instead, I see this as a new way to sin. So the law comes to me, don't covet, and I go, wait a minute. I should be coveting? What? It says, don't covet your neighbor's ox, and you, and you go, my neighbor has an ox? I don't. I gotta get you one. <laughs> <laughs> And Paul says, what what is going on here? Even the law of God comes to me and my sinfulness twists it so that it actually becomes sin in me instead of the will of God. And Paul says, that's how wretched I am. That's Romans 7. What does Romans 8 say? Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Right? So, Romans 7 says, when you're looking here, when you're looking here, guess what you're going to keep seeing? Sin. Romans 8 says, let's look at what God is doing in Christ. And what are you going to see? Holiness. Holiness, grace, yes. promises. You, see, you guys know Romans 8. You guys know Romans 8 by heart, right? For you know that no matter how. Well, I mean, now I don't know how it. How's it go? No matter what, what's Romans 8 28? He works all things for good. How's that starting? <laughs> Yeah, we know in all things God works for good for those who love Him, called according to His purpose, right? In Him we are more than conquerors. See, you guys know that's all Romans 8. For I am convinced neither height nor depth, the angels or demons, all that, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's Romans 8. For I know that the, the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans, right? That's Romans 8. See, what happens is, when, when you look at what God is doing, what are you talking about? Justification. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, peace, spirit. When you're looking at you, what are you going to end up saying? What a wretched man I am. Who will save you from this body of death? Right? So eyes on Jesus and what's going to happen. We're always going to say this and this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we proclaim to to the world. But when you talk about our reality coming before a holy God, what, do I, what must I do? Repent. 1 John 1.7 The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sins. 1 John 1.8 If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. 1 John 1.9 but if you confess your sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Right? See how it works. You're always being driven to Christ. Always being driven to Christ. Okay. Does that does that help a little bit, Jim? Yeah. Anybody have anything to add, Michelle? Did you have a question back there? I don't know long time ago a lot of water under that bridge yeah sorry sorry I was I was doing I was doing the long Latin words you know which, which oh Eric just left is he coming back yeah
1: probably
0: I hope so alright I'll bring it up later
1: does that parallel with Christ being divine and human the saint and sinner until we're in our glorified bodies
0: no but yes No. Uh, No, because his human nature is not sin. His human nature is just as not sinful as his divine nature. You can't divide the two. In that way, yes. In that way, we are one person with two. And you, yeah, yeah, but no. Because you don't ever want to start equating his humanity with our sin and his divinity with our holiness. You don't want to do that. But the idea that there's two realities in me, yes. That is parallel. Does that make sense? Okay? All right. Number two. I feel like we're way ahead of the game already. (laughs) (laughs) How does anyone see God? So, 646. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So, how do you see God? Jesus. Only in Jesus. Okay, remember. How does God come to sinful people? Through Jesus. So if you want to see God, how do you see him? In the way that he came to us. If you try to see God like this, are you ever going to see him? No. No. You cannot see God outside of Jesus. It's not possible. So Aries says, oh, there's a whole bunch of religions in the world. And we say, yeah, there's a bunch of people trying to see God, but guess what? They're never going to get there. They're never going to get there. Jesus is the God that you know. He's the only God you see. Okay? Okay. You guys wanna have some fun? No. This is fun. Alright, let's go to let's go to Exodus chapter three. This is just fun. I made this up the other day in my head. I want to try it with you guys, just because you guys are fun. Okay, I was actually listening in chapel to this, and so I just I thought all of this up in my head. I wanna see if it works. I actually haven't looked yet. So this is this is literally fun. This is all in my head. So we'll see if the text reflects it or not. I could be wrong, you know. Exodus 3. Now I'm terrified.
1: Exodus
0: chapter 3. All right. This is the story of the burning bush. You guys know this story, right? It's all, you guys know it. It's all in your head. All right. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Oh, by the way, we're talking about seeing. Just, just to clue you in what we're talking about. Listen for seeing. Seeing verbs. Now Moses was keeping the flock with his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Median, and he came from the flock to the west side of the wilderness, the angel of the Lord, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord a- appeared. The angel of the Lord appeared. This is fun. To him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. He looked, saw, and behold, the bush was burning. It was not consumed. And Moses said, wait, so who's seeing so far? Moses. Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared so that Moses could see him and the bush is now burning up and Moses sees it, right? That's fun. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And the Lord saw, oh wait, what? Then the Lord saw. Now we have who seeing? The Lord. Now listen for what the Lord sees. Okay, saw that he turned inside to see, and God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals or place your sand on holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of who? Abraham, Abraham Isaac, Jacob. Who are they? We did Genesis. Who are those? Patriarchs. Those are the patriarchs, right? Those are the patriarchs until they go down to Egypt, and then who becomes the patriarchs? The 12 tribes. Very good. You guys are great. Okay? So we got three patriarchs, then we got the 12 patriarchs, but that's, well, that's a different story. Okay? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now listen. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them to the land of the good land, broad land, filled with milk, and human of, Ready? Here we go. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of my people has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel. But Moses said to him, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the Lord God on this mountain. Okay? Now, a lot of God's seeing in that passage. He's seeing the affliction. Now, go to Genesis 22. This is the fun part. Go to Genesis 22. You can tell your friends on Monday. You'll be like, yeah, we did this Bible class. It was crazy fun. Okay? 22. Genesis 22. What's the story in Genesis 22? the sacrifice of Isaac. Excellent. Okay? So, we won't read the whole story. Just go to verse 13. 22, Genesis 22:13. 22, Who who's 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 the character here? Abraham. Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. And who's the son here? Isaac. Isaac. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac, and who's Isaac going to have? Jacob, right? So this is patriarch. What is God? What happens? And behold, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. Sound familiar? Burning bush. Sound familiar? Moses lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, right? But we're, we haven't got to the fun part yet. Be, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered of the burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. Okay? Go to your footnote. Do you see a little two in your study Bible? Yes. They say, actually, the word isn't provide. The word in Hebrew is the Lord sees. Abraham actually says, Yahweh sees. The reason you have provided is it's, king, it's a leftover from King James. And what they interpreted it to be was, <coughs> we'll see to it. Meaning will provide. Okay? But the actual verb in Hebrew is to see. Now listen. Abraham said, On the mountain of the Lord, where the Lord is where he's sacrificing his son to save his people, the Lord sees. Right? Yahweh sees. And then in Moses, in Exodus 3, God says, I see the affliction of my people. This is, the, this is so huge. God sees. He sees you. God sees you. And the seeing of God results in him taking action action to do what? To save you. This is the God who sees. Okay? Now, Jesus comes along and says, no one's ever seen God. But I have seen God and the result of Jesus seeing God is he's going to take action to do what? Save us. To save you. Who is the God who sees? Jesus. Jesus. So who is the God that was with Abraham that day? Jesus. Jesus. Who is the God that was with Moses that day? Jesus. Jesus. See, this is the God who sees. This is the God who sees. And in the Gospel of John, in one eighteen no one has ever seen God. In 646, no one has ever seen God, right? Except Jesus, the one who's seen the Father and he reveals the Father to you. How does he reveal the Father to you? Through his action to save you. If you want to know who God is, look here. That's who God is, right? Everybody knows this in the whole world. If anybody knows one Bible verse, it is John 3, which says, For God so loved the world, right? And the whole point is that God exists as the God who saves. Okay? So this is the bread of life discourse. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of heaven that has come down to give life to the world. See? Hmm. Okay, any questions on that? That was just fun. I just thought of that in chapel. You like it? It was fun. Okay, now, Eric. Yes. You preached today.
1: Yes.
0: And I'm assuming you read the other text as well.
1: Yes.
0: Why <laughs> did I write big Latin words on the board? Why did you write big Latin words
1: on the board? Uh,
0: because our epistle like, the reading today says... Oh. I did not come to you with big words. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Right? I knew you'd get that. See, like in, Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I didn't come to you with big words. So I figured I'd write big words on the board. Today. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Seminary humor is not actually funny. It's, it's just, you know. It's just kind of sad. Okay. But, yeah. That was for you guys. What are
1: the omnis? Omni, max. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, good. So, so the predications of God. We, we skipped this. The predications about God. <laughs> omni. Present. 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 Omni. Omnipotent. Shrent omnipotent right? And then eternal. So he's omnipresent, which means he is ever. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, and he's omnipotent, or omnipotent, which means all-powerful. So
1: there's no seeing
0: in that. Well, he is all-seeing, that's this doing but that's not, that's not Christianity. That's my that's religion.
1: <laughs>
0: well, when he's, when he's omnipresent and omni, omni seeing or omni knowing, this actually is, implies a little bit of seeing with it, but he knows everything. He's, he's everywhere. What
1: brought, it made me think about that
0: he saw that it was good in the beginning of the creation. Yeah, good. See? See how much fun this is? Then you start thinking, oh, hey, he saw that it was good. God does a lot of seeing. Does God have eyes? Yes. In Jesus. Right? Okay. I don't know why we never get through John 6. All right, let's go back to John 6. Any other questions on that? You can all feel sorry for Robin because this is pretty much (laughs) what life is like our house yes okay number three number three what is the bread that you can eat that gives eternal life the Lord's Supper okay what does he say here yes you have to eat Jesus okay so the bread that you can eat that gives eternal life is Jesus it is Jesus. And what is he going to do to give you that bread? Yes. He's going, so look at look at 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world, okay? Is my flesh. So this is the body of Christ that dies on the cross, okay? Now the flesh of Jesus, the flesh of Jesus that he gives on the cross is the bread of life, okay? So this is yet another way that John is going to pile up metaphors all of which are fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I know you guys don't like this one, but it's true. <coughs> in my Father's house are many mansions. I am going to prepare a place for you. Where does he go? To the cross. Where is the mansion of God? In Christ. In Christ. Okay? So all of these things, right? I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. Whatever you want to pile up, I am the good shepherd, I'm the gate, all this kind of stuff. It's all the person of Jesus. It's all his flesh and blood. It's all his very person. Even in, in John 2, the very temple of Yahweh is the body of Christ. Right? Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And disciples are like, well, that's insane. Until he actually does it. And they're like, oh, he's talking about his body. Okay, so the Gospel of John continues to say, whatever promises God has made, they are kept in Christ. Right? So if you're looking, if you're looking for life giving food, it's Jesus. Since we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, that's kind of our reading lately. What does Jesus say? He's the same thing as the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? He doesn't say it as well as he says in John, of course, but you know he does a pretty good job. He says, are you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear? Are you? Don't worry about these things, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. Right? So, So where do we look for our sustenance? To Jesus. You heard this in John chapter 4 the woman of the well. I'll give you living water. You'll never have to thirst again. And she's like, that is so awesome. <laughs> I don't go to this well anymore. I have a spigot in my house that turns on and I get oh wait. That's different all God. But that's what she's thinking, right? Same thing here. They're thinking, oh, you're going to give us bread? We don't have to work anymore? We're just hang out with you and get eternal bread? And he goes, no, no, I'm talking about bread that lasts for eternal life. On the last day, I will raise you up. Which kind of means they're going to die. So the same Jesus that says that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will raise you up on the last day, which means you're going to die, is the same Jesus who says whoever believes in me will never die. And he says that outside of the tomb of his friend named Lazarus who did believe in him and yet died. So then he goes, well, what I mean is he who believes in and die, even though he dies, yet he shall live. And you go, this is weird. This is really weird, isn't it? And he says, you ain't seen nothing
1: yet.
0: Wait until you see God on a cross. <coughs> okay? So all of this is continuing to move us toward the idea that life comes through faith in Jesus what about Jesus he is who he says he is and he will do what needs to be done to save you these things are written that you able that Jesus is the Christ the son of God by believing you have life in his name see so the food that results in eternal life is Christ Christ faith in Christ gives you eternal life. Okay? Does that make sense? Any other any questions or thoughts on that? Tom. I have a question about the deal
1: with the Lord church.
0: So, yeah, if we're going to move to the discussion of the Lord's Supper, um, why did he choose supper instead of breakfast? Um, I think when you're talking Lord's Supper, the best thing to think is the Passover. Just put it all in context of the Passover. And Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples when he gave us the Lord's Supper. So, we're going to look at this whole, like, we're looking at this whole narrative in the context of the wanderings in the desert and the manna and those kind of times when you think about the Lord's Supper you want to think Passover okay so it was an evening meal the Passover was an evening meal all those kind of things that's why okay and of course we have it in the morning because I because we do that's when we that's why do we worship in the morning why is early service better than late service you
1: have more of the day to do your stuff
0: not because you have more of the day to do your stuff it's because it's in the Bible and they got up early in the morning and went to the tomb. People that sleep in and go to late service, I don't know what you're reading.
1: <laughs>
0: That's, right. That's right, it's early for you. That's an interpretation, right? It's an interpretation of the word early. Yeah. I early. Mean, yeah, but, but this is part of the reason the church started worshiping in the morning on Sunday was, was because on Sunday morning was the time of the east of the resurrection, right? Now, are you allowed to worship later in the day? Yeah. Sure. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've already been up for hours why not go to church yeah I mean that's the thing is, is none of this is prescribed in the scripture when the right time to go to church or even the right day to go to church right this is something the church has, has done in history but you're free to worship later
1: was Passover an annual celebration yes, How yes. Long was it
0: about, a about a week there's a whole week of festivities yeah it's all in Exodus you can describe it think about it I mean that the Passover event could take longer than that but the the meal itself was basically a week long thing. Okay? Okay. Alright, we are not getting to the Lord's Supper yet. So, number four. What is the faith that results in eternal life? A lot of people say I'm faithful. A lot of people say I believe. A lot of people say I believe in God. Is that the faith that will end up in eternal life? Right, it's specifically faith in Jesus. It's specifically faith in Jesus. Believing that Jesus is the one sent from the Father to save the world. Right? It's not even just faith in Jesus as a historical <coughs> idea or a good teacher. It is faith in Jesus as the one that God sent as his son to save the world. Does that make sense? Now, if you guys were in church, and if you weren't, you should go to Late Service and learn this. What is the only way for you to believe all that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay, That's also in our epistle reading. 1 Corinthians 1 or 2. The second half of the reading is all about the work of the Spirit. And then we're going to read in the, in the explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed that this is all the work of the Spirit. Okay, So, now listen to what's going on here. You have faith that Jesus is the one the Father sent. So the Father sends Jesus, and the way that you have faith is by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So remember, when you're talking about all this salvation stuff, you're always talking about the Trinity, the the three persons of the Trinity involved in your salvation. It's not like God is against himself. Like the Father is like, I really wanted to send them all to hell. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. That's not not the picture you want to have in your mind. A lot of people have that picture. It's that God the Father is mean and he's Old Testament-y, right? And he's got all this sacrificial system. He's like, they they should still be doing that. You know, they're not living very good lives. And Jesus is going, no, 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 it's okay. That's not the picture. The Father sent his Son in order to accomplish your salvation. And the Spirit is the one who gives you faith in that. Right? What is the Father's will? I be saved. That you should be saved. In Christ. Okay? Does that make sense? And this is important as we go forth to talk to this world about who God is, whether they're agnostic or atheistic or a nun or whatever they want to call themselves, you know who God is. Revealed in Jesus Christ to save. Right? Does that make sense? So so that's the faith that results in eternal life. I really... Okay. Well, we got through one section. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number five is the big question. That was the one we were going to get to. Oh, well. We'll do that next week. All right, so... We'll
1: get one question next week is what you're
0: telling us. Well, <laughs> no, we'll do it quickly, but but there will be... Room for difference of opinion that So, any questions on what we did do today? I don't have a
1: question, but you started earlier when you talked about the words in seminary. So, is this my time to work?
0: Yes, please. the sense
1: that we train our pastors really well. And not just that we teach you good words, but it's a pretty elaborate education to teach them certainly about God and Christ. So that they can speak the truth to God's people. It's just, just, a, I just wanted to speak a little bit Well, since the that, um, So we have we have this two seminaries.
0: We have two seminaries, right, at Fort Wayne and St. Louis. And what what Pastor Bonnick is getting us to to remember is that both of these institutions provide excellent. Theological, historical, systematic, practical—this is what people are. These our pastors are learning this stuff. They have master's degree in theology when they walk out. That means all these words that I'm using—they don't just learn the word; they learn why we use those words and how. And and your clergy—I mean, we have the best thing going in the entire world. As a matter of fact. The other churches in the world are now coming to us and saying, how, do you do that? how can we get what you got? So your seminaries are something we should be, in a godly sense, proud of, right? That's what you're getting at? Yeah. yeah. And, and Pastor Bonick right here is he's actually in charge of pastoral education for the whole synod. So, you know, it's his fault.
1: <laughs>
0: no but this is the point we have, we have good people working on this that are constantly working to make sure that our, our clergy are well trained to proclaim the gospel to us and, and it's such a blessing we have such a great center and, and by the way going along with their commercial encourage people to be church workers there you go we'll, learn, we'll be hearing more about that as we go alright let's pray Lord God, Heavenly Father, give us your spirit that we might believe in the one whom you have sent, our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the very bread of life, and that by believing, we might have life in his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you all.